0: You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players, and all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass.
1: Hello, everybody. And welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode one, two, three. And this week, we are joined by the illustrious Majin Bay, wizard extraordinaire. Majin, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It's been a long time since I know even, I mean, since I've seen you in person, it's been a long time. I know Hayden, you guys had that great, great match back in Lille. Um, very competitive from what I heard. I just oh, want yeah. yeah, to thank you for, for taking the time coming on and letting us into uh, sort of the mind of the master when it comes to Icelander, Kano, Wizard, all of this stuff. Yeah, happy to be on. Thanks for having me back.
2: Yeah. I'm excited to ask Caleb about the Emperor, obviously, because that's a wizard, technically. Mm. So he's a wizard. <laughs> oh, I opened
0: one case of that set. I opened three Emperors. What? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Isn't that card yeah. supposed to be that rare? Was my, that was my L's. It was just three Emperors. Okay. <laughs> I'm so that's sorry. It.
1: So, Majin, we have, um, we have a listener question section every week called the Command & Cookout. This week, I'm going to be hijacking it to ask you a question. I just want to get the lore in the background. On Majin Bay, who you are, and you, I think a lot of people know you from Flesh and Blood now because you've made a bit of a name for yourself over the past few years, but also known as a, um, Jesus Christ, the game just slipped to my Legends mind, streamer, Ru-Tara. Legends of Ruterra, <laughs> <laughs> um, I almost said Grand Archives, because we were talking about it before, Legends of Ruterra streamer, um, pretty popular streamer at that, and competitor in that game as well. Just give us a little bit of your background in card games, streaming, and sort of how you ended up here today.
0: Yeah, uh, love card games, got introduced to them with Magic in like 2014 or something. Uh, I was out of high school and I've always loved like competing. I love strategy games, just never really got introduced to the world of like strategy gaming. Uh, and then, yeah, with Magic was super, super into it. Uh, Wizards eventually made me super, super not into it. <laughs> and I switched around for a bit before landing on Legends of Terra, where I started to make content. And then some people had talked to me about Flesh and Blood. And yeah, the first time I played it, I was like, "Oh, this is quite possibly the best competitive game I've ever played." Like, I love the game of Flesh and Blood. It feels just so like feels it feels good to play on like a competitive on a competitive level. There's always things that I could have changed and done different. I usually don't end my games and go, "Man, I just had no way of winning." Except maybe that game against Hayden in <laughs> <laughs> Uh Yeah, and so I just I I um, Flesh and Bloods like my break. I feel like you know I, I play Legend of Terra as a career, uh, and then when I want to take a break, I go and I play a Flesh and Blood Battle Hardened or something. Come back nice and refreshed.
2: Yeah, usually you win it. Apparently, <laughs>
1: only once. <laughs> <laughs> so what about legends of ruterra I know you said you it's sort of your career at this point but what about that game scratches the itch for you do you find that you still love this game after playing it for so long and in competing at a high level for so long what because that game and can you give people who don't aren't, or maybe a bit ignorant on how that game works, how it sort of compares to a game like flesh and blood. And what about that game sort of makes you interested? It makes it so you can keep playing it over and over again for how long you have been.
0: Yeah. Runeterra is a really interesting one. Uh, so one, I love the league of legends, IP Mm -hmm. big fan, even though I was introduced to it also pretty late. Uh, but I, I really, really like it. And it feels kind of like hearthstone did, but if you took the stack from magic and then like tripled the interactiveness. Because the thing about Legend of Terra that I really, really appreciate is that there's no your turn or my turn. Every turn is our turn. If you take an action, I get to take an action. Uh, And that's how the entire game is played out. The only difference is that one player is allowed to attack on one turn on odds and the other player is allowed to attack on evens. And it constantly just kind of goes back and forth. There's no mana screw. Uh, and just being able to be like, hmm, okay, they're doing this. I can respond with this. Uh, and this is a little, little bit of a deep cut for people who don't play Legend of Terra. But I think the best part, the part that really endears me to the game is actually the priority system. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, have you guys played the game at all?
1: Um, A little bit, but I have played magic as well, which has a, priority system mm-hmm. so how does it compare to a priority system that we might be reminiscent of in something like magic gathering
0: it's very similar to magic but imagine that if i pass priority and you pass priority the turn ends mm-hmm. period so there's a lot of jockeying for position maybe you cast something that's not so committal because if you force your opponent to cast their committal play first you have more information and you get to adapt to that uh, and a lot of high level strategy revolves around that that positioning and i think that's like I think that's such an interesting thing. It would make you think of poker where Mm -hmm. you're always like trying to play your hands in position. It's very similar to that.
1: How does the dynamic of variance versus skill sort of weigh out or, yeah, weigh out in a game like Runeterra? Because I think if we look at something like Flesh and Blood, you know, it's almost skill intensive to a fault where we see the same players recurring in top eights over and over and over again. And, you know, we have these conversations with people like Brian Gottlieb, like, should we be taking it back to the Starved Ace, et cetera? What is it like in Runeterra? Is it a game where the better player tends to win or is it more of a I don't know, sort of a Magic Gathering esque level of variance, a Hearthstone esque level of variance.
0: Uh, one dime on a stream I actually sat down and made like a graph. <laughs> I was like, here is Flesh and Blood on this side, right? And here is like Hearthstone on the other side in terms of like RNG. Sorry, Hearthstone players. Um, and I would say Rune Terra is closer to much closer to Flesh and Blood than pretty much any game I've played. It's the better player wins the majority of the time, but it's not so much like flesh and blood to where you start out and you're going to get stomped for a month. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you come in with a lot of card game experience, you will find success probably rather quickly. And Mm -hmm. so it's really nice to go from like, Sometimes I play Flesh and Blood, and sometimes, sometimes you just want to beat people, right? Sometimes you don't want to like lose the game because you made a small mistake on your pitch on turn three and be like, "God damn it, this sucks." Sometimes you just want to roll dice and have fun, Uh, and I get to do that a little bit more with Runeterra. So it's very nice for me to be like, "Oh my god, I'm so tired of like playing so strict every time." I want to go play some Runeterra and do some crazy combo nonsense. And then when I'm done, when I'm tired of losing because my opponent had the thing, I go and I play Flesh and Blood, and I just kind of like switch back and forth. And they both scratch a different itch for me, and it's really nice that I get to have. Both.
1: Yeah. I can really empathize with that, actually. It's a weird dynamic because I felt like when I found Flesh and Blood for the first time, I was like, okay, this is the apex of card games. This is just a better card game than all the other card games I've played because I perceived the lack of variance as just a more well-designed card game, ignorantly, right? And I think nowadays, I do have that same dynamic where I'm playing Flesh and Blood. And then there's there's just times that I like to play other card games, whether it be Marvel Snap or Grand Archive. Would you know? I do appreciate the variance a bit more. I do appreciate the degeneracy a bit more, As sort of a respite from you sort of the grindiness of something like a flesh and blood in legends of rutera are you known for something specifically like a certain type of deck a certain type of uh, deck building etc do you have an infinity for something um in legends of rutera that you're known for
0: i do do you want to guess do you want to guess what it is Uh, it's got to be be
1: something with drawing cards
0: (laughs) yep yep so uh, i'm known as an ionian enjoyer um I like to play things that where the units don't really matter and it's just a bunch of spells and I'm comboing Mm -hmm. like people. I'm the the, I love the decks that casual players love to complain about on Reddit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can definitely empathize with that as well. Uh, is is Runeterra the type of game that sort of fa- facilitates a person that's looking for that uh, that type of gameplay consistently, or is it you know sometimes the decks are available, sometimes they're not? Like, do you find you're able to express yourself often in that game playing those type of decks? not as much as i would
0: like um i am a competitive player so sometimes the meta is in a spot where like i can play my pet deck and my pet strategies and it can and it could be well i'd say about probably 60 percent of the time the way i like to play is available and is like playable right Mm. at like a higher level and then 40 percent of the time it's not so like the last two months it has not been and it's been it's been really tough on me (laughs) (laughs) but we just got patch notes today and it's looking like big cool combo stuff is back on the menu so that'll be fun
1: So, in Runeterra, you're not just a streamer, you're also a competitor. You're also known for placing very high on the leaderboards. Um, how often do you find yourself being, you know, playing the decks that you truly enjoy to achieve that kind of status versus, you know, maybe having to swap over to the competitive or the meta deck in order to achieve a sort of leaderboard position you're looking for, or when you actually enter a tournament? Um,
0: probably about 50 50 i think the biggest part that's tough isn't the picking the deck to compete the part that's the most difficult is picking the decks to make content with Mm -hmm. because people expect new things right i can't say here's karma again for the sixth time i do do that but they don't like it very much (laughs) Um, so i need to constantly be keeping things fresh and showing off these deck archetypes that i don't actually enjoy playing but I can't be like, here we go. I'm playing Demacia. Wow, units, right? Like, I can't do that. So that is more difficult for me than taking the best deck to a tournament.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that we, uh, we run into that a little bit on this podcast where, you know, it's probably been about two years and I still mention OG Chain. I still mention Kano. People are like, dude, just shut the fuck up. <laughs>
2: Like I was gonna say, some some of us more than others. Yeah. Some of us
1: more than others. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyways, Hayden, do you have anything else you want to sort of ask Majin about his background before we head into the news? We're, we're we're trying to switch things up this episode. We're actually gonna have Caleb join us for the news section because we did have some pretty big changes to Blitz. But Hayden, I just want to pass over to you before I before I pop into that.
2: I feel like you you asked him a lot of questions. I mean, we're gonna dive into a little bit around midter and nationals coming up and and things like that uh i I, I shouldn't know did, did you play because i didn't go to baltimore did you did you play at baltimore uh i did play at baltimore <laughs> um
0: i played lexi Ooh, and fun. went zero and four
1: mm, even more fun
0: <laughs> i've never gone zero and four in my entire life
1: <laughs> so <laughs> Is it correct to say that you maybe played a deck that you didn't really enjoy and maybe didn't get the performance you're looking for on? I think, I think... You might be right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The double whammies can be pretty rough. I, I ran into that at PT Lille, actually, where you and Hayden had that um, that infamous meeting where I played the Briar deck, and you know I didn't make it to top eight. I we we did we did get over to day two, but I just did I just didn't like my experience. So it just wasn't fun. I don't think I'm gonna do that again. I think I'm just gonna be playing the decks I want to play.
2: It's <laughs> funny. I feel like. I feel like I haven't had the same experience. It's because you, you only even win, bro. Even. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. But
1: only top sixteens. He's like, you know, I have just had a good times. Like, what are you guys talking about?
2: <laughs> no, but that—that that I was going to point to Leo, for instance. Like, I didn't have a particularly good time playing that event. Maybe it's a little bit results-oriented as well, but I didn't particularly enjoy playing that deck. And even like the game that me and <laughs> me and Margin played as an example, like, it was just—it wasn't an interesting game to play. Um, we both played, you know, Runeblade and uh, it, that meta have felt really prime for Rune Blade, but after that event, I just didn't want to play Runeblade unless it looked like a viscerai combo deck for yeah, yeah. the foreseeable future. Um so I, I can definitely relate to that. I think it's it's true. And I'm looking at Nationals to take a deck that I find a lot more enjoyable <laughs> than previous dicks. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I, wonder,
1: I wonder if that's like the first bullet point to becoming, or maybe it's the second bullet point to becoming a boomer and fab. The first one is you mentioned old decks that are now irrelevant or maybe banned, etc. And then the second bullet point to be a true fab boomer is to start playing decks you just really like where it's like you're you're bringing the suboptimal choice. You're just there. You're, you're there to win, but you know, you're going to have a good time doing it guaranteed. Anyways, Hayden, mm-hmm. big changes in Blitz. Do you want to sort of read off the tail of the tape for us on what exactly changed? In regards to that format,
2: yeah, we got a few things in the news section this week. But let's kick off with what is, I guess, the biggest news that's kind of dropped. Actually, Alice have done us a favor, Brendan. Usually, they drop this news just after we finish recording in traditional mm. fashion. We I don't know if you know this, Imagine, uh, but every time we record a pod, and there's a bit we're waiting for news, they will drop the news about an hour after we finish recording. It's just tradition. Uh, I talked to that, Brian
0: Gottlieb about that. Actually, yeah. uh, he said it's on purpose.
2: <laughs> yeah, I have actually told Brian that we're actually going to shift our recording to earlier. We're not going mm. to, but we're just going to tell them that so that they, they drop the, the, you know, the information entirely. Hey, we're Entirement two for two across.
1: off the last one. So we got the ban announcement right before, and now we got the Blitz announcement. I think that Brian heard our feedback. He's been very receptive <laughs> since we, uh, we made him look good on the pod. Thanks,
2: Thanks Brian. <laughs> so I said this when we jumped onto the call. I said to, to Martian and to, to Brendan, since I last played a game of Blitz, Drone of Brutality has been unbanned, and now banned again. Mm-hmm. So that is the big news. Drone of Brutality is banned. Uh, we can dive into that a little bit in a second. The other news is that the Skirmish Season 7 test changes, which was this idea of, of uh, inventory that could include equipment and cards for your deck, is now going to be put into the rules. This is gonna now be the new Blitz format. Uh, the other change that's come about is that you have to present exactly forty cards. So with the Blitz Season Seven change, you could present more than forty cards because you could have you know a mix of equipment and cards in your inventory. Now you can only present forty cards when it comes to the game. So you have to put you know say you've got four sideboard cards, then you have to put them back in your sideboard. But I think that kind of makes sense for a, a, a format with you know limited deck size and and still fatigue being around, even though drone might be banned. So I don't know, I Caleb, I think you might be the only one of us who's played any Blitz in the last few weeks so maybe you can give your insight on the banning of of drone or the re-banning of drone i honestly never saw drone <laughs>
0: uh, i played two two blitz events one was like a super armory and one was like the battle hardened uh, i played chain in both of them and was just miserable but <laughs> it's it's, not a it felt it's not wizard it i expected it to be like cc chain and it was it's not like that at all because you only get a couple turns so like if one of your turns sucks you can't make up for it you just die uh, and that that felt not great. But I had uh, I'm going to Portland where it's the team battle hardened or team PTI event or something mm-hmm. with Blitz. And Peter Badensik, um wants to play Kano. So I was like, fine, I'll play chain at the battle hardened. And then I was like, bro, I can't do this, man. <laughs> and he's like, OK, I'll play chain. You can play Kano. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs>
1: That's the big toss up with these team blitz events. Who gets to play the Kano deck? Because that, that really blitz is the Kano. that's the fun deck. That is the fun deck in Team Blitz. Um I know I think not get to play it last time. Oh yeah, yeah, I
2: know. But you guys you guys did you guys did do pretty well, to be fair. You did pretty well. I also just killed my opponents on turn one sometimes with Rhinar. So yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, Rhinar, <laughs> if you kill your opponents on turn zero, <laughs> turn one. I mean, that's kind of like you Kano. It's like the same thing. It, um, it's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb, I know you're a big um. You're actually a big locals guy. Despite being a streamer, I think most of the, actually most of the digital card game players I know don't actually play physical card games. And the few that do play physical card games don't make it out to locals, but you are Mm. both a streamer and you play quite a bit of locals. Did you, have you been playing Blitz at your local Armory events? And, you know, I think you said you just played Chain just twice. Was it just in those events? Had you played it at all with these previous rule sets at your locals or anything like that? No,
0: uh, I I have not. I do try to make it out to locals. It is tough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I get out maybe once a week for a card game. Yeah. Be it One Piece, Flesh and Blood, Grand Archive. Always open to learning new things. Um, yeah, I haven't been able to play Blitz much at all. And then I won't be able to play it after this because all my locals want to test against Icelander for Nationals. Interesting. So like, my time is being reserved
1: <laughs> as the punching bag. <laughs> That's super interesting how how do you so how do you manage the balance between three other paper card games, you know, whether it be one piece, grand archive, et cetera and what what do those other the, those games are a bit newer grand, grand archive and one piece. What do they bring to the table that flesh and blood does not at the moment?
0: Just different things um one piece is nice to just go out and just like play a thing and it's very easy to understand what's going on and i don't have to like practice a matchup or know my mac my macros or anything um and then like grand archive i get to do really dumb combo things but i can't really do anything on my opponent's turn so it's like every game has like its pluses and its minuses and sometimes i just want something else it's kind of like like going to a restaurant like i don't always want the same thing sometimes i really want to go get something else and Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's what these games kind of offer
1: me yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's head into the main topic, which is Wizard
2: this weekend. <laughs> let's uh, let's finish the news first quickly. Oh, there's more news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> just quickly, just quickly. What is it? What Do you what want is to that? give a shout out to? <laughs> so, obviously, Blitz seven, seven, Skirmish Season Seven changes are going to mm. be full in fact. They've just wrapped up as well. Skirmish Season Seven's just finished this past weekend. Uh, I guess one of the things that Alice has shouted out in this article, though, Brendan, as well, about the changes to Blitz was that. I believe 13 heroes got above double digits in Living Legend. So the Blitz season looked quite widespread. A lot of heroes making some impacts. Uh Kasai, Chain, and Ira were the mm-hmm. top three heroes though. No 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 Kano in there, which is surprising to me. I think Kano's still very powerful, but probably every man and his dog showing up with three Oasis respite in the sideboard and <laughs> some number of Prayer if they're a red line deck as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Nerds. Battle Hard in Hong Kong happened over the weekend as well. Congratulations to Shin Sing. Uh, actually, we was playing Shin Sing at Worlds. We played in that dev challenge uh, where he schooled me on Dash. Went on to take Chain, your favorite new deck, <laughs> Margin Bay, to a Battle Hard and Win in Hong Kong. And then Bun R on Dash won the Classic Constructor PTI event on the Sunday. Uh, we saw a lot of the big names from Asia competing in this, this weekend at the Battle Hardened in Hong Kong. I think it's the first Battle Hardened in, in Hong Kong, so super exciting. But we saw likes of like Alan Lau making top eight both days, uh, putting Tam, Kevin, uh, Calvin Law, and of course, Jin Sang. Atlanta Battle Hardened coming up this weekend. Either of you two go into that? I assume not. Classic constructed both days, PCI and CC. And this is going to be our last little glimpse before we get to the first of Nationals next weekend. Of course, U.S. Nationals happening in the calling. That is the news, Brendan. <laughs> All wow. right. Well, with that, let's
1: dive into the Wizards. Um, so a recurring topic in the past few weeks of Arsenal Pass has been Icelander performing despite. So when we look at the meta or we lo- look at the macro meta, we see what... You know, it seems to be a hostile environment for Icelander, right? Lexi still being the most represented deck in most of these tournaments. And we look to the previous meta prior to Oldham's, Oldham's banning, we say what was keeping Icelander you know, what was sort of forcing it out of the meta? What was keeping it down? And the answer wasn't really Old Him. Most of us would have pointed at Lexi as the deck. You know, Lexi may, being the deck that was holding Icelander back. Old Him gets banned. Lexi's still the most popular deck, but Icelander has this resurgence, right? In a very, very, very dominant resurgence, like consistently winning event after event after event. Majan, I want to ask you sort of this base foundational question before we dive into It's like... Why has Icelander been able to perform again, despite Lexi and to a lesser extent, but still still a big factor, Jermai being some of the most popular decks out there? What changed?
0: Um, so the Bullseye Bracers ban was actually a really big deal for Icelander because that presents about six damage ish. Like it's just, let's just say on average, like six damage, it gives them free AB, that kind of stuff. Um, so that's, that's a really big one. It people kind of underrate how big that changes, is uh, because it basically gives me one extra turns before I have to storm striders, you right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's huge, like, I can present so much more damage in that time. Uh, warmongers and friends, I mean, let's just say, and friends to like Warmongers, case Icebind, those kind of trio are forcing decks to build differently. Uh, Lexi's playing Trench now instead of Tunic, which is good for countering the Warmonger stuff, bad for playing against Icelander. Uh, And it really slows the deck down. They don't have these like six out of five turns (laughs) where they're just like just absolutely blasting you and there's nothing you can do about it. It's not really happening anymore. You're able to tax them a little bit easier. And the but the biggest thing. So the Lexi matchup got a little bit better, Mm -hmm. just a little bit. But I think the biggest secret is that um, outside of Lexi and Azalea, which people don't don't really play much. Icelander doesn't have any bad matchups in the meta. There aren't any bad, like, Dromai's fine. Dromai's been fine for a really long time if you put in the practice in the matchup. It's a super skill matchup, and usually whoever's, like, more prepared can usually come out on the top over a course of, like, five, ten matches. Um Lexi's obviously not great. is super not great. Azuri's super free. Bravo's a great matchup for you because, mm-hmm. you know, you have a two-card eight, and they don't. Uh There's just, like, a lot of these things where it's like, yeah, this deck's really good, but I'm 55-45 against them, and I'll take that, like, I'll take that spread every single day, all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, looking at your list, so uh, these lists will be in the description. All the ones we're talking about on, on the episode will be in the description, so check out there if you want reference. But looking at your list, honestly, one of the first things that jumps out to me is, number one, it's sort of Bolander-esque, right? You have those big attacks, but also no blue Aether Ice vein. What is, uh? What's with that? I don't think I've seen that in any other list.
0: I don't like that card.
1: Okay, why? Why is that card bad?
0: It's just bad rate um mm-hmm. so i actually played warmongers over it and the only thing i don't like this is going to be a super hot take the only thing i don't like more than blue aether ice Vein is actually warmongers
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i played it in two tournaments now uh, and i've never once cast it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yeah. i won both it's just not a very good card the threat of warmongers is absolutely insane right? Like Lexi has to build their deck entirely different to play around warmongers, but like the decks that get absolutely poo-pooed upon by warmongers aren't being played at these higher level tournaments because they can't be like you. People aren't bringing briar because your opponent cast warmongers and you're like <laughs> your hand of nimblism nimblism snatch looks really bad now. Mm.
2: Um, so I think like,
0: <laughs> yeah, or viscerai, right? And like these are matchups you're already happy to see. I don't feel like I need this card to like absolutely smack down on them uh so i may be switching from like no ice vein all warmongers to maybe like a split i still kind of want to have it just to keep my opponents honest but mm. i think the threat of warmongers recital is doing a lot of good things for you in the matchups where you were hurting
2: mm. yeah i would i would massively agree with that i think that's been my experience and not just for icelander but for a lot of dicks in this format is now the threat of warmongers makes people have to change the decks you know we're seeing these lexies move to just straight trench builds although that also means they're playing codex of inertia which is uh, not not icelanders favorite card to see potentially but uh yeah i think people the, the three
0: uh sorry to cut in there. People keep talking about Codex of Inertia. They're like, "Damn, bro, how do you beat Codex of Inertia?" And it's like, I just block more <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. I wounded bull them like <laughs> Um, I, or I've had some funny spots where they're like Codex of Inertia and you like respond by casting your card and then they put another good card in your arsenal and so you just cast that too and you're like, "Man."
1: Yeah, so it's not the worst <laughs> kind of
0: nice. It's not the worst
1: are you a little bit of a tangent, but are you a Bravo believer? Because we we actually had Pablo Pinto on the podcast last week to talk about Bravo. And Bravo is another deck that we see having to assess, which is probably, it wasn't a deck that was on Hayden and I's bingo card. You know, budget old him, which, you know, Pablo himself said that's what Bravo is. You know, that's a, that's a reasonable sort of archetype or ideology for a deck, right? Old Him and the strategy of Old Him was so powerful. It's like maybe you can put it into the suboptimal shell and have similar success. And Pablo himself on this podcast said that people really are not prepared for that deck, or at least they weren't in these, past, in these past tournaments. What are your thoughts on the resurgence, the sort of performance of a deck like Bravo in the current meta or in the meta of the past two to three weeks?
0: I'm not sure. Uh, I understand Bravo has a pretty good matchup against Dromai is what I've been told. Uh, but I'm inherently very biased against Bravo because every deck I play is really good against Bravo mm-hmm. and always has been. Um, even when I played Lexi, that deck was good against Bravo, especially with bullseye bracers. Uh, I play mostly wizards. Those decks are good against Bravo. So like, I'm not sure how much weight my opinion holds
1: <laughs> here <laughs> with this opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I-
2: I have a question to ask. You, Brendan, you said about people being unprepared. And we talked about this with Pablo last week. And I'd love Mm -hmm. to get Marge's take on this as well. How much of just general meta results through the first few events and some of these events you've played as well, do you think comes down to people not being prepared and not understanding matchups in the meta as it is? And not because, you know, players aren't preparing and they're just, you know, or they're bad or anything like that. More because the meta is just so new. How much of you do you think is coming down to potentially people just not being prepared for these strategies and not being, you know, ready?
0: Mm, maybe a couple. Like, I think the first events were definitely like people were probably trimming blues and stuff and they weren't ready for a frostbite on their turn. I think that was like really big. I think the Dromai list got a little greedy. Mm-hmm. They went a little too aggressive and got punished for it. Um, I don't know a ton about honestly how aggro decks and stuff prepare for Bravo because I don't play them. Mm. So maybe there is like, oh, they shouldn't have packing defense reacts. I honestly i honestly don't know. Um, but I do think that Icelander, especially ria's list, uh, in the first two battle hardens, which was, by the way, just an insane run. Back to back is so nuts. Um, the arcane version with warmongers is incredibly the word I like to use is exploitive. Mm. Uh, it's it very much takes something that is a weakness of decks in the format and uses it against them it is in my opinion and some people might not agree with this d- worse than Bolander. it is not as strong of a deck in a vacuum but when decks aren't prepared for the kind of disruption that it presents it can be so incredibly strong and i think that was proven in the battle hard i think as we progress people we saw lexi change to trench builds and things like that uh probably more blues are going to be packed we'll see people be a little bit more prepared for the arcane version in my opinion
1: mm. what version do you think is better in the mirror
0: bull yes, <laughs> not, even yes.
1: Close. not even yeah it's <laughs> not <laughs> even close right yeah. so if we if we see any sort of um uh the meta rebounder sort of react to Iceland's performance see more people come back to the deck or pick it up for the first time it does feel like you get even even more sort of, um, forced into potentially playing that as your deck versus the arcane version, because I mean, you're, you guys are right. It genuinely does not feel close. I mean, the, the variance of a bowlander mirror is who draws the red card with the blues, right? And if the other one just draws a couple reds or, you know, a couple of the wounded bulls, or they just draw blues, like the game just feels like, feels like it's over at that point. Do you think that Icelander is one of the most fundamentally powerful decks in the meta right now?
0: Yes, yes, I do, but I think you have to really put in the time to mm-hmm. reap the benefits. I think your average Joe at an armory, if you hand them Icelander, will do okay, but not quite see the success that you would see if they were playing like a busted deck of
1: the past, perhaps. Mm-hmm. What do you think contributes do think to that, that sort of high skill floor of Icelander? Is it just... Playing on both sides of the turn or like what really gives it that, that sort of it factor, which makes it a deck that just doesn't seem to be able to be picked up very easily by new players. Uh,
0: Icelander puts a very big priority on understanding everything that your opponent can do at all times Mm. and so you need to know exactly when to space out your disruption not just during their turn or your turn right it's not when exactly do i cast this cold snap it's do i put this cold snap in my arsenal at all is this how much damage are they presenting and is it better for me to arsenal this wounded bull can i can i afford to set up an insidious chill here or are they going to put too much pressure with that endless arrow in their arsenal and i need to like get rid of it and arsenal something more defensive instead and Those are the things that I think really boosts Icelander to the top is understanding that kind of stuff. And it's probably not very obvious, Mm -hmm. right? Like when you're playing it, you might make a mistake like that and you put Emeritus scolding in your arsenal a turn too early and you lose because of it. It might not be super obvious immediately. So it's harder to like, I feel like it takes a little bit longer to level up with like Icelander than it perhaps would be with like a more, a more linear style deck. Mm. One thing I, I... like
2: that you said linear because it's not... Like, Icelander is just pointedly not linear. Your mm-hmm. game plans are never linear. Even between the same game turn to turn, they're not going to be linear. So I, I think it's... I'm glad you said that word.
1: Yeah, one thing I noticed when I first picked up Icelander is um, I sort of picked it up blind. You know, I net decked the list from, I believe, Howling Minds at the time. And I remember playing it online. Talishar. That was like right when Talishar came out, actually. And not seeing a lot of success. And then I remember... Watching a video of someone else playing the deck and just seeing people, you know, this player that was better than me at the deck at the time, just consistently make decisions that I wasn't really considering or that I just hadn't made. And it was like it was fascinating also like just how the arsenal was manipulated, when they would cast their spells, how many how many cards they would go to their turn with. I think the arcane version is a little bit harder to sort of uh finagle around like mentally than the wounded bull version but that's what i really notice is like the actual just base play patterns of icelander are just not super clear when you look at the deck for the first time i'm not sure if you if you sort of agree on that i agree with you hayden though that the the game plans are absolutely dynamic and you're playing a uh, a tempo deck but also a very responsive deck to your opponent's game plan
0: I would definitely agree. And I also agree that the arcane version takes a lot more finesse. Yeah. To play. Which sure. is why I play Wounded
2: Bull. <laughs> <laughs> Damage, baby. <laughs> At
1: this point in the meta, what are your bad matchups? What are you hoping not to see? Or even we can take it to another level up. It's like if you're taking this deck to nationals, what meta do you hope to show up to the tournament for you to be able to be successful with it?
0: I don't want to see a ton of... I don't want to see a ton of Rangers. Like, Azalea is a pretty wild card for me. Mm-hmm. I haven't played the matchup a ton, and I understand that it's not great. I feel very comfortable playing against Lexis. Um, I don't think the matchup's great, but I know like I know what I'm doing, and I know what my opponent's doing, and I feel good about it. Um, the thing that I don't want to run into is specifically Dromai specialists. Mm-hmm. Because the matchup if it's just like if it's just a Dromai and they picked up the deck a month ago and they played the matchup a couple times, you're usually just going to roll them unless they like total tie you on one or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I believe it's the same way the other way around. A Dromai specialist will roll an Icelander who's not prepared. What I don't want to have to deal with is a Dromai specialist because those games are really, really hard <laughs> for both sides. It's such a difficult matchup and it's so like um, thought intensive, I suppose. Yeah. I would love to not
2: run into like two of those in a row. Yeah. should usually quite a grindy matchup against good players. Dr- Dromai is such an odd deck where like people always talk about Dromai specialists. Like, oh, I don't want to play, you know, the Dromai specialists. They're the only ones good with the deck. Is it just that like good players, you know, just stock standard good players just aren't picking up Dromai? Like, is it's such a weird concept. It's like the only people who play Dromai and see success with it are Dromai specialists. It's such, it's such an odd kind of thing. I think. I, I think you might be on something. I, I think a lot of people who
0: consider themselves competitive or aspiring competitive players pick up Dromai and if they don't see the success they want with it, they drop it for something mm-hmm. else because in the end they are here to win. But then the specialist, the ones that are very, very strong players, period, and very, very strong players on Dromai and they put the time in, like, it's scary. I, I still think the matchup is probably 50-50 if you have like an isolator specialist and a dromai specialist uh but i don't want to play it (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. i think the same thing comes down to cards as well same thing applies to wizard and more specifically kano it's like in the hands of an inexperienced player like i generally think it's like one of the worst decks in flesh and blood (laughs) like it's just so absolutely like
0: bottom three yeah yeah
1: it's terrible um but there are just a few players that you know when the fire starts to burn they put in the time and like they've been playing this (laughs) Deck forever. Usually, you know, their name is just associated with it, and those players just, you know, they just roll everybody, despite despite the meta. You know, they'll beat the prisms, they'll beat the jermays, they'll be et cetera. It's just, it's it's an interesting dynamic when you look at these illusionist decks, which actually has traditionally been not just Dramai, but illusionist in general. Prism is also a deck that the general population was statistically quite shit at, <laughs> uh, but now it's Jermai as well, and the same thing the same thing with wizards. So, yeah, Hayden, you're. Your sort of philosophy on that is like: Are good players just avoiding these decks, or are these decks just not that good? <laughs> I don't know.
2: Well, I don't. That's. I guess I don't have a philosophy either way. It's just a. It's just an observation I've had. You know that so far to this point, it looks like. We've not seen these players pick it up for whatever reason. Maybe that'll change. You know, the mm-hmm. meta is always obviously evolving. I, I, have a, I have a couple of questions and I feel like I've got to preempt this by saying that, you know, I'm going to take Brendan's role this week and, and play a bit of the heel on the pod, you know, potentially. But uh, <laughs> I want to find out in your run to the, the, the PTI that you gathered up a couple of weeks ago, how many Lexis did you play against as Icelander? Because you just delved into three. the Lexi matchup saying you don't particularly, you know, you don't mind. You, you're at ease playing it, but it's not a particularly good matchup. Uh, three of nine. Uh, rounds so for Lexi. A third of your... And did you want, win all of them? Did you lose to any of them? No, I won all my matches. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay, all right. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> <laughs> just want to throw that in there. How's, how, how, yeah, how, yeah, yeah.
1: how's his heel storyline going? <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> how many of them
2: were playing Trench against you?
0: Um, two of them were playing Trench. Both Yanji and Michael Fang.
2: Okay. Were those matchups harder or easier? Um,
0: they were... Easier, but only because my first Lexi opponent showed up with AB zero.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: okay, and then didn't block my attacks. Right, very much. right, So I just killed them. Okay, okay. But I think I think that tunic makes the matchup more difficult. Yeah, but that's been my
2: experience. If you as walk well. into
0: Warmongers or Encase, right? If you get Encased, you're gonna be really upset. But I think
2: Tunic makes it worse for me. Yeah, okay. It's been my experience as well. Uh, I was just curious, so don't worry. I'm Not going to go down the route. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I wait. thought there might be what a, is the heel a, a down that was what your the heel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's going to come through this podcast like- when I talk about how trash Icelander <laughs> is. Now, I, I actually, I, I, think Icelander is just fundamentally one of the most powerful heroes in class constructed <laughs> because of Stormstriders, because of the fact that you get to play blues that are powerful, because of the effect, the fact that you get to disrupt your opponent, because of the fact that the fact that you get to play good trading damage. But my next question for you, I need something new to settle something for me because this is a debate that has been had around the world. Who is favored in the Kano versus Icelander matchup?
0: Uh, Ah, okay. Icelander is. Icelander is because I am one of the few people I feel like that really plays. a ton of both. Icelander is favored in the Kano versus Icelander matchup. However, it is a skill matchup. If the Kano is more prepared in the matchup, they will be favored. Uh, Peter got interviewed by Flake and was asked, hey, Peter Bedensik, a well-known Kano main, uh, how do you feel about the Kano-Icelander matchup? And he says, I feel incredibly comfortable uh, winning against any of the Icelanders in the field, except for specifically against Majin. And we went on to play the future match. Um and I did, I did end up taking the game. And that is, that is how it's felt for me. When I, when I play Icelander to Kano, I feel more safe. When I play Kano into Icelander, if I play against an Icelander that maybe doesn't understand exactly how Kano works, I think that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. If they are also a Kano player, they're never going to just send a wounded bull at you with one blue in hand when you have two energy potions and die, right? So like, then the matchup gets much more difficult. Uh, and then when it's really like good Icelander, good Kano, I would just rather be on the Icelander
2: side. Mm -hmm. it's interesting the reason I ask is because in the lead up to the calling Auckland we myself and and Damakai, we wanted to play Kano and we've both played a lot of Kano and now at this point after that a lot of Icelander and we Mm -hmm. got to the point where we literally could not win a game on Kano once we like understood the matchup so in depth we were like and the only way we're winning here is if the Ice draws triple red in the hand. Like we were just not able to find, we were just like countering every single like pitch that Kano was doing. We we're countering every single in-game Kano could up, come up with. We even started playing like attack actions in Kano to see if we could like balance it out. And you're like, oh, you just start at six less life and they have disruptive burn spells. Like it's just the most frustrating thing. So I just wanted to hear your opinion because I've had people tell me, oh no, like it's Kano favored or, you know, like if the Kano player is really good, like they will always win. And I was like, oh, we've played so much with both sides and I got to the point where, honestly, I just could not win a game with Kano anymore. Yeah. So. I don't
0: want to be on the Kano side. We've tried Thank a lot of things too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Glad I could help. I'm also a super big believer. If you've seen my list,
0: the other big point of contention, besides like the no blue aether ice vein, is that I play three energy potions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Very I tell important. people every time they're like three energy potions, isn't that, that like too many? I tell them, I'm like, if you played Kano, you would play three energy potions too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Always three
2: energy potions in Iceland also. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. That card is absolutely busted. Well, hey, I just got to point this out. Kane was like, oh, I'm going to be the heel of this podcasting I'm going to take some risks. How many get yeah. still got time? How many likes you play? <laughs> That's the heel. All right, let's talk about Kano though. Um, yeah, because we okay. touched That's on good. there. So I have a Kano list from you again. If you're listening or if you're watching on YouTube, link in the description for the deck list. So Kano is the I don't even know what I don't even know what word to do attached to this deck to sort of it, to 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 correctly articulate, it's infamy at this point. But Kano is a deck. Kano's a deck that we talked about, probably one of the worst decks in Flesh and Blood in the inexperienced hands, or just in let's say the vanilla hands. But it's a deck that tend that just keeps the normies sh- hands. Yeah. Normies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, Hayden should have said that for his for his heel story arc. Um, But it's a deck that keeps showing up at these high-level events. Keeps showing up at Pro Tours. Keeps showing up at Worlds. And we're seeing more teams, more players pick it up. And despite the, the card pool consistently gets more hostile towards Kano. It gets worse for Kano. But the deck is showing up more and more and more in these tournaments. What are your thoughts on the current state of Kano... In the meta, as well as you understand it right now, we can even say the projected meta for U.S. nationals, right? The, the tournament you are going to attend, where do you think Kano lies at the moment?
0: Uh, if you can't put 100 plus games into Kano before you show up to this tournament, he's probably like D tier, mm-hmm. maybe F tier, Um, along with like Arachne. If you can, if you put like tons and tons and tons of time into it, i put Kano probably in b plus i think kano is actually a pretty solid choice the only problem is like you are a dog to super experienced icelanders mm-hmm. um and a drum matchup is absolutely miserable mm-hmm. so the it's only reason i'd play kano over Icelander was that a,
2: was that a maybe maybe not i I, I, I
1: really like to be on the kano side in the
2: Dromai matchup oh
1: I don't like well, on I the other
2: side, but the game ends for The game, the on- game, the game ends pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I got the on turn zero, bro. Yep. Like, there you go. The game's over. Shit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: You do need something um, to
0: deal
1: with the Mai for sure. Like that. That definitely just yeah. being the board, <laughs> or you just so you if you're see. picking.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's oh. so if you're picking Kano over Icelander, what you're trading is a better la- a better Lexi matchup for less points on various other things right Mm -hmm. you're like you're you're worse against icelander uh you're worse against dash like these kind of things um but you do get a better you do get a better lexi matchup however the reason why i don't love kano at like super super high level events i did top eight of battle harden with kano uh recently that was really fun um but i usually end up gravitating towards icelander is because if you play kano sometimes you're just gonna lose a game because you brought kano Mm. and there's nothing you can do about it yeah. So you have to come to terms with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the deck does have just, just does have an inherent variance where Icelander is just more of a fundamentally powerful deck. Yeah. In terms of Kano, do you think that there is pretty much only one way to build the deck at the moment? Is it just this sort of stock standard list with the Aether Wildfires focused on the combo sort of oriented end game or it's end game? That's a, that's a loaded word when it comes to Kano, but you know, sort of combo game plan. I just haven't seen, many new takes on kano it's just kind of been the same list is this the most powerful way to play kano
0: i think so i think if you're in a super aggro heavy meta where people are like not playing a lot of blues very much disrespecting anything wizard um i absolutely think you could go a more low to the ground version with things like reverberate which i think is the most powerful card that kano isn't playing Mm -hmm. Uh, i have tried to play it but it's like it could just kind of be awkward sometimes But if your opponents are on like one AB, all of a sudden Reverberate gets to be really, really powerful. You can do some crazy things with it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you feel? How important is it for the sort of aggregate meta at a tournament to be on a lower amount of AB versus a higher amount of AB when you're bringing something like Kano to a tournament? Are you sort of gambling that people are skimping on the AB in order to get more sideboard slots?
0: Okay. This might be extremely contentious. But no. Yeah. No, No, you're correct. I agree. I was about to shout. No, you're (laughs) in
1: the right place for that opinion. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Why doesn't it matter?
0: Uh, Because if you're slower, I'm going to kill you. No. And you don't have the resources to block what I'm doing anyway. If you're playing a deck that like traditionally won't have AB three, then you don't have the blue density to like actually present the threats you need to be presenting and be able to AB four times on your turn, right? It just doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. So... For context, just something I could pipe in. So, like, let's say you're playing an ultra defensive Bravo deck and you have all the AB in the world, you can have AB 50, it doesn't matter. But if you present zero sort of uh, pressure to a Kano player, the ideal scenario for Kano is to double spell you on their turn. So, they're going to play a spell at the top of the deck by activating Kano, they're going to play a spell out of hand and it's going to tax your resources. Let's say you have four blues. Um, and then they have Aether Wildfire parked in the arsenal. We're going to go to your turn. You've lost two cards out of your hand, and now they're going to attack to try to attempt to combi from there. You take that sort of four blue card hand down to now a three blue card hand. Let's say, let's change the variance on the hands a bit. And this is just a devastating scenario for you. So you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't when it comes to Kano, when it comes to how much pressure, how many reds, how many blues you should have in your deck. It's really the, when it comes to Kano... The things I'm worried about is less uh, less arcane barrier and things like that, but it's more silver bullet cards, and it's actually more just macro game plans, strategies, right? Like decks that are too aggressive for you, like like you talked about the dash. Like boost dash can be a, a terrible matchup because you said there's an inherent variance to Kano. Well, we ramp that variance up 5 to 10x when you shorten the game down, right? And it makes it even harder for you to find the thing. Do you think that Kano is a... <sighs> Is it a potential choice for a player like yourself, a player that's seen success with Icelander, debatably the more powerful wizard? Is it a possible choice for you at US Nationals?
0: All things being equal, if you can play Kano and Icelander at the same level, you are shooting yourself in the foot playing Kano instead of Icelander. Mm. That is my opinion. I do think Kano is a choice, and I did consider bringing Kano, but I think Icelander is the better choice in Mm. this upcoming tournament. Alright.
2: It's just more consistent. It's just yeah. it's it's got a similar kind of Storm Strider's inevitability, but you obviously your life total ranges are different, but you get to play a game that goes longer and the longer the game goes for Icelander in most matchups, it works out better. You get to see all your cards, you get to play all of your disruptive elements, you get to, you know, land the longer a game goes, the more value a turn you laid an in insidious chill has. You know, you get that value back that you might have lost on damage. So I just I really struggle. I've wanted to play Kano. I've taken Kano to two tournaments. (laughs) That's all, ever. Actually, that's a lie. I took it to a locals once, but... You know, I played Kano to two, two big events. Yeah, right? Hayden Dale. I took Kano
1: to two tournaments, just the Pro Tour and the World Championships. It's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I like, those are and medicals. Yeah.
2: <laughs> medicals, though, Medicals, right? Yeah, and I did bit I did bit at the World Champs and the Pro Tour. Then I did at the Armory where I went one two. You, you know what I mean? You I can think that's people, a real
1: thing. People have hundred card decks in Armories, bro. They have hundred yeah. card decks. <laughs> <You will not. laughs>
2: they go find yeah, people th- have eighty five card yeah. decks with their number <laughs> th- and they bring it. Oh, I just need to grab. they are my other deck. Yeah, I'm sure they are.
1: Yeah, six AB, eight Oasis response they're pulling it out of their sock it's like you can't play kano in armory it's, it's literally Dude, i lose
0: every time i bring kano to an armory i go like one and two <laughs> and then i top eight the battle harden and i go home and i owe three armory like you just you yeah. cannot play kano in armory it just doesn't <laughs> I agree. work i agree suddenly all the yep. tech
1: cards kind of okay let's talk about the kano list because there are some interesting aspects to your list here first off uh, i guess i'll set the aether spindle you have one blue aether spindle blue aether spindle although it's not a blue that you can combo with because it costs two. And we're not going to get into the intricacies of the combo if you're interested in how Kanan works, how the combo deck works, etc. Like you're seeing this for the first time, there's a video on our YouTube channel. You can go look at it. It We'll explain all of the heuristics, all of the math to you, and it will all make sense. But Blue Aether Spindle, not the ideal combo card to sort of flip but a card that you can sort of combo with in a sense, right? You ate the Wildfire, you hit the Blue Aether Spindle. You might not be Blazing Aether on this turn, but it's still kind of gas because if your punk doesn't have enough AB or they don't have resources, you might be opting five, six into your deck and then you find yourself stacking tomes, etc., digging, you know, maybe drawing half your deck, yada, yada, yada. What made you cut the Blue Aether Spindle specifically because this is a card that I either, well, let's say I said cut, but you have one in there. What's the choice with the one?
0: Uh, I wanted four blues that didn't suck because mm-hmm. I believe I have three emeritus blue yep. in the list. Uh, six was too many and three was just too few. So I have four blues that Im- that's, that's how I put it, that don't suck. <laughs> so when I hit them off the top, I get to do stuff. I've been waffling between aether spindle and aether wildfire the list that I top aided the battle hardened with, uh, was on a three, one split spindle favored. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of just playing both feel how, which ones you like. I know a lot of people like to just activate Kano at the end of their opponent's turn and see what they hit. You should probably not be on the spindle version if you're doing that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think it's, should I think just it's a preference thing. But- or just don't. Please don't do that. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> so,
1: personally, there's an even more dogmatic card in this list, actually. Um, that's Potion of Deja Vu. And luckily for this podcast, we actually have a Potion of Deja Vu hater joining us on the pod, Mr. Dale himself. Talk to me about <laughs> how you ended up on two Potion of Deja Vu rather than three and on two versus, you know, rather than one or zero. What are your thoughts about Potion of Deja Vu in itself? Because it's not super conductive to the Kano combo, but it can give you a lot of outs to sort of pseudo combo your opponent.
0: Are you asking the Deja Vu hater are you asking me? I'm asking you
1: first and we'll go to Deja Vu hater.
0: The heal. You, I know you have activated Potion of Deja Vu in Kano, uh, but for our viewers at home who maybe haven't, uh, it feels like cheating. Yes. (laughs) You have blue, blue... Blue, blue, lessons in lava, tome, and you pitch them and you activate Kano twice and you crack your potion to deja vu. And oh my god, you banish tome lessons in lava and you're guaranteed to draw two blues off the tome. And that's nasty and it just gets nastier. That's like baseline mm. potion deja vu stuff. However, I don't want to draw two. Yes, because it's just a blue block zero. The second one doesn't help you. So I only run two of them.
1: Mm. Yes, yeah, so there's a there's another person, um, friend of this podcast, but I guess he's a fellow Three Musketeer, Mister Sasha Markovic. I know you're familiar uh, with mm-hmm. this man. Very much a three potion of Deja Vu stand, right? Just thinks it's too powerful. But I agree with you that if you draw two Potions of Deja Vus, it's very bad. Because the card doesn't, doesn't block. Um, you really don't want to be playing it on your turn. I mean, that's the thing about Potions in general. I mean, Potion of Energy Potion is powerful enough that you can actually play it on your turn as Kano. But generally, Kano wants to be playing Potions at instant speed. Um, and yeah, if you have two Potions of Deja Vus, it's terrible in your hand at the same time. But anyway, over to Potion of Deja Vu, hater Hayden. Your thoughts. Have you have you converted? Where do you where do you sort of lie
2: on this um on this card? Well, I just let you make a fool of yourself. When have I ever been a potion of deja vu hater? World
1: championships, 100 percent Potion of Deja Vu hater. He's like, I don't understand this card. I, don't I played know. one of on my list. Yeah, because I was we were preaching <laughs> no. it to you. Okay,
2: I'll tell you why I don't particularly okay. like Here Potion of Deja Vu. I think the card is very powerful. Most of the times with Potion of Deja Vu is good and it is like like Major was saying, it can be insane. Mm. Um When it is good, is usually in a in a matchup where I don't want to be playing, to be honest. Like I want the the when I build and play Flesh and Blood, I want to play like the most repeatable plan. I want to play something that's super consistent and super powerful. And Potion of Déjà Vu definitely like is on the powerful axis. It's definitely not on the consistency axis basically whatsoever other than the fact that it's a blue doesn't block you can't set it up that well you have to wait for just a hand often you're just going like oh this hand is nuts with potion deja vu let's get some value off of it but it's so hard to know where you're going to get that in the game and how often you're going to get it so the matchups where i think it's good tend to be in matchups that are are harder for you or matchups that are maybe not your your better matchups and those are not the matchups i want to play as kano so i'm probably just not playing kano in that situation so that's kind of my view on personal I don't even know. I think the card is very, very good. I would play it in my deck, but it doesn't contribute to your core game plan or your core consistent game plan of just killing people with with, with a combo sometimes it can help you combo sometimes it can let le- you draw like five six cards sometimes it can net you like 15 damage sometimes you do it you tome and you hit absolutely bricks from your kano and you've just used this potion of deja vu in your whole hand to deal two damage now don't say that has never happened to you before much because i know that has happened to you because that's happened to me so many times The potion of deja vu it is such an inconsistent card but the ceiling on it is so high mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah
0: sometimes it doesn't go the way i want <laughs>
2: It's a good card though, don't get me wrong.
1: Yeah, Kano's super interesting because most of the Kano decks that we see, and even the one we're looking at right now, are actually suboptimal combo decks. um, because they they opt to build that way in order to have variability in order to pressure their opponent on their own turn. In order if your opponent has high A B, they can't be full combo. They can't be like literally all blues and do the Aether Wildfire combo, which you could do, which is like you you can play that you could play a strategy into a low A B sort of meta, but they they opt to play these red cards like the Red Aether Spindles or the Red Aether Flares, um, etc., in order to give themselves game against decks that have AB. These cards are also just, they're fine against cards with you know, decks that have, that have yeah, low AB, but they do... Inherently decrease the consistency of your combo right to where you can literally always get the blue off the ragamuffins with zero variability which is sort of pure cano combo and pure cano combo is genuinely a terrible deck because it just folds to anything that has high ab you know it has to pitch stack forever and still you won't kill your opponent um one other card i want to talk about in this list three red aether flare what's yes. the what's the uh what's what's the thought behind it it's usually blocks Mm -hmm.
0: but when it doesn't it it is the card that forces my opponent to ab on my turn yep
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um sometimes you just sometimes you you know you know i'm talking about where like sometimes you're sitting there and you go uh i'm gonna activate kano and i'm just gonna see what we hit because you're like i'm not sure if i need to combo maybe i'll just block and i'll play this potion but you activate and you hit aether flare and you go (laughs) <laughs> right. And then you're you're going. And I like I like having that like go button. But also, yeah, on your turn, you go activate Kano. It's a spell. Crucible Aether Flare. What are you gonna do? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like they have to block as much as they can. Um I was actually watching Peter Badenzik play it's his blitz to be fair, but this was super, super cool. Where he just like he put like an Aether Flare for four on his opponent on like turn one or something. Uh his opponent didn't block any, so he like cast another card on Kano. Which did a couple damage. And then his opponent blocked like they, they didn't block any. And so he just Storm Striders blazing Aethered them. Mm-hmm. Now it's blitz, right? So life total is lower. But like the power of this card, if you don't block it, like can't be understated. And I really like that. I especially uh, you were talking about forcing your A B high A B opponents to lose cards on your turn. And Aether Flare is really, really good at that. And then against decks that can't afford to A B very much, uh Aetherflare just puts them in kill range so much faster than anything else does. Mm-hmm
2: yeah Ather flare is like honestly red Aether flare is one of my favorite cards in kano and for a long time people weren't playing it and I could never understand why i I for all the reasons you've just said I think the other reason I will just say I think the reason people don't play it is they misplay this card a lot they mm. they try and back into it way too much so they'll play the Aether flare on their turn their opponent won't won't block and sometimes they won't Read the opportunity, or they will block some of it but leak a little bit through, and they won't read the opportunity. They'll then double down on it and try and push through, you know, an extra one to two damage at the expense of like an arsenal, for instance, or the expense of like some really good cards. And that's often incorrect. I think it's a card that's often misplayed, but yeah, I would say like 60 percent of the time, like I'm blocking with it, but the times where it does mm. work, it does so much work. And if you ever hit this, if the first time you hit this off like a, a stretch combo maybe where you've had to like blind combo you're like just stretching yeah. you're like I'm not quite there but I have to go for this maybe I find a tome and you're like oh I have an Aether flare. never mind oh, you're yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. I mean honestly
1: it's like you could use the blue one the blue Aether, the blue Aether flare is disgusting <laughs> have you ever seen the combo it's like oh my god um, I think there's a bit of a dichotomy between cards like Aether flare and cards like um, Voltic Bolt or derivatives of that being small tidings it's like what card in it, it's actually meta dependent I think of what actually draws more cards out of your opponent's hand it's like if they're on higher ab you know aether flare might actually be weaker than something like voltic bolts which should take a similar amount of cards you know a similar ab out of the hands if that's their core game plan but still leak a few damage getting them closer to a sort of a combo level of health and i think there's a bit of a dichotomy between playing the red aether flare which i do think is a sort of an overall more powerful card or going for a bit of a more consistent option in the red voltic bolt which is sort of a stock standard your turn as kano let's take a card out of their hand and try to get them in a you know, maneuver them to a decision i could do damage to them on their turn you know i play crucible voltic on my own turn um i want to dive into your sideboard here because the sideboard really tells a lot of story when it comes to cano because we know what the core game plan is the combo etc but the sideboard is interesting to me so first off aether dart i'm assuming that's just for demise is that correct
0: that's it it's just yeah. draw my
1: yep just draw my um this sort of one of dampen what's the what's the idea behind the take, a guess. Damage? <laughs> take a guess what that goes for yeah, as well stealing four damage to something right yeah, yeah. it's a uh, it's dromai exactly. so
0: uh funny story when you guys gave me the list and there was dampens in the sideboard i didn't know what they were for so I just played them in the wizard mirror and I was like, I don't get this it. Is, yeah, like, this is <laughs> terrible. <laughs> this is so bad. They're for killing Thamai. That's what they do. They kill Thamai and when things are going really poorly, they kill Tovel <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes. What about the so, one yeah, of Nourishing good. Emptiness? What, what matchup do you side that into?
0: So that's some spice. Um, I actually really, that's the Peter Bodensick special. I actually really like that in the wizard mirror. Mm-hmm because you're going to see your entire deck and the way the wizard mirror plays out is you're not going to be activating kano a ton unless you have extra cards so whiffing on a kano activation doesn't really matter mm-hmm. very much you're usually going to be and we're going to get into this you're usually going to be casting one of your one mana spells and then activating waning moon uh, so you just wait until you draw your nourishing emptiness you push it and if you draw it halfway into the game a five card hand from kano forces your wizard opponent to do nothing on their turn Right, because you have the five cards, your arsenal, probably some potions, and if they pull the trigger, you kill them. Like it almost doesn't matter what your hand has.
1: Mm. All right, um, swell tidings. Where where do you find yourself siding that card in? Uh,
0: high AB decks. Mm. This is wizard. This is guardian. This is anything that brings AB three against you. Uh, these are the cards you want. As opposed to cards like Aetherflare. Okay.
1: To I have a Fidia or to not I have a Fidia, sort of an age-old question in Kano. Obviously, an incredibly powerful card, right? You have this card in your hand, you're like, holy shit, yes. <laughs> the world is my oyster, but but, 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 but. Sometimes, you know, some people play this card indiscriminate of any matchups, just core of the Kano deck. Sometimes, you know, you're playing against an aggro deck, etc., you got a combo. And there's that one whiff in your deck and, you know, one whiff. It's just, what are you, what, are, what is your thoughts?
0: Uh, I'm a I'm a gamer. I always play it. I always but play. I know that some people only play it when they feel they need to get there. When they're a dog. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a dog, you bring in I have a video. But I, I get dopamine from seeing the card in my hand. So I always play it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i uh i also get i mean i get that dopamine but i've gotten a lot of negative dopamine from seeing that card on you know when i flip it off the top of my deck with a uh, sonic boom or something like that which oh man that feels great all right you get the-, the same with
2: the energy potion though and Deja Vu. Yeah. I mean, actually, so, like
0: Sonic Boom into an energy potion makes me want to
1: cry. Well, uh, that's so Brandon funny you bring that stream, up. Right? <laughs> yeah, so first pro tour. I was, uh, you know, pro tour number one. A really uh, dynamic, just un, you know, sort of confusing meta. No, it was literally three decks. People bought Prism, Chain, Starvo. And I go round one, boost dash. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I need the combo quickly to win. And I Sonic Boom and whoop energy potion. It was just, it was a sight for sore eyes at the time. And I quickly was uh, dispatched by my opponent. All right. Waning moon. Do you find yourself playing waning moon in any matchup that is not the mirror? We're not utilizing something like a Constellus. And have you can, if not, if not, have you considered playing waning moon in some of the more grindy high AB matchups?
0: Uh, so I have considered it. The answer is no. I play, I play waning moon against ice Laner, I play waning moon against Kano. Um, Against the grindy high AB matchups, I do not play Waning Moon because the combo is so like mm-hmm.
1: contingent on not
0: easy. It's a surefire thing, right? Like if you're going to give me twelve turns, I'm going to kill you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like eventually, I'm just going to double, triple, wild, wildfire you if you're going to take a really long time. And like maybe when like fatigue olden was a thing, if they played like six copies of Oasis Respite, Steadfast type things, like then maybe I don't know. Maybe you need Waning Moon. I don't even know. Um, but no, I know other people sometimes like to play Wainty Moon in other matchups. I do not. I just want the simple Kano game plan.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. And just going up to sort of going back up to macro um, ratios in terms of blues, etc. How many blues do you find yourself playing in a 60-card deck of Kano? Is it 33 blues or Blue- are you siding in blues? 33. 33 blues. Hey, 33. Do I do in extras. Do you remember off the top of your head what sort of your... Uh, the number of blues you were trying to hit in the Kano iterations that you played both at the World Championships or just sort of your heuristic for how many blues you want in a Kano deck, what it was
2: thirty one to thirty three. I okay. played thirty two in most matchups. Just just the one Deja move. Yeah,
1: I remember it being uh sort of being that thirty two, I believe. Um,
0: hasn't changed much. Kano has uh not changed a ton. <laughs> no. no, it's been has been it's been pretty
2: so for a while.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that yeah. that's what's interesting. It's like there doesn't seem to be a ton of ways a ton of ways to build it. It's like there's. I think you take this this sort of inflection point of what is pure combo, so literally just like all blues and your combo cards, and then you sort of move away from that in order to make a more dynamic deck that can actually survive in a meta that isn't just people on low AB or people that are not attacking you, right? It's like pure combo is a theory deck, and then you adapt the Kano deck into something that we see more like your list, which is a deck that can actually just, I mean, it can function, right? It's functional outside of the combo. Hayden... I want to throw it over to you because you also have a Nationals coming up. Where does Kano sort of lie for you in terms of the meta right now? Are you considering it? Do you think it's potentially a good pick? Do you think that the meta is so dynamic and changing so much that people are going to opt to go lower on the AB, go lower on the Kano head, maybe cut some of these Oasis or Spice, et cetera? Your thoughts
2: oh that's the heel just looking for that's my I'm just looking for my, my kano deck box yeah. uh it's firmly in the cupboard and not coming out for nationals mm-hmm. i can tell you what uh, mm-hmm. i can guarantee you i'm not playing kano at, at nationals uh well you know there's always a one percent all right but uh, <laughs> i would struggle to like i think margin Bay said it i'd if you're going to play wizard and you're semi-comfortable with you know icelander i would just be playing icelander i think it's a very powerful hero it's very powerful despite you know what looks like a hostile meta i think the more i play and, and test this meta iceland, it looks better and better than i would think um it's yeah i just don't i don't see a reason to play kano right now i don't feel like this is a particularly the better iceland is doing like just the worst it is for kano because i don't think iceland is a good matchup for you and also just the more splash like interaction there is to to peg you down so i just think this is if honestly i think this is one of the worst metas i've probably seen for kano i i don't I don't particularly. I know Magic Beast before. Maybe there's like a reason to play Kano, but if Icelander is doing well, and Icelander is a good choice, like that to me just says like Kano is not a, a good choice. I just can't see how they can ever be uh, both good choices. But
1: mm. you know, makes sense. All right, Caleb, your thoughts and your concerns regarding uh, the other half of this tournament you're gonna have to play, which is Monarch Draft. How are oh, you feeling? My goodness. Okay, so I
0: hate limited. <laughs> <laughs> um i'm not feeling super great about it i've done about four drafts which is more than i have done for any other pro tour So true so true not. limited hater
1: <laughs> true. Oh, yeah.
0: no, i do not i do not enjoy limited um i didn't dislike it uh back in when i played magic the gathering it wasn't my favorite but i didn't like hate it mm. i honestly i don't love flesh and blood draft very much okay Um, it's just not the format for me. I don't really like to play low power formats uh, and I don't enjoy the actual drafting Mm. aspect of draft. Uh, So not feeling super comfortable about Monarch. The preconceptions that I had based on what people had told me from when they played Monarch turned out to be not true.
1: Like uh, at all. For for example. For example.
0: For example, a lot of people told me that chain chain Sorry. Yeah, Chain was really, really good and forcible, which I do not agree with. Who told you and that, that Bolton <laughs> was... And Bolton was basically unplayable, which I <laughs> seriously don't agree with. That deck is very good. Yeah. Um. So just a, just a lot of things like that that just kind of like added up. This is how the games kind of play out. You need to make sure you have these. And it's just like... I don't know. I feel like the game has just evolved. Mm-hmm. Like how we play and look at Flesh and Blood has evolved since Monarch was around. I didn't even play when Monarch was around. And so I, I think... A lot of those things that people thought just aren't actually true in the modern game of flesh and blood.
2: You should defriend those people. <laughs> yeah, I'll let them know. <laughs> Force chain, bolt, and bad. Come on. Yeah. Um I'm I, I'm not a particular fan of this monarch draft format. I'm not looking forward to it, so I can uh I can resonate with that one. <laughs> I have a question I want to ask about. Nationals. We've both got our nationals. All three of us have our nationals. Next weekend. What's the best deck That's in the next format? weekend. That's next weekend. I know, right? Wait. Weekend no, after next. Weekend
1: right? after next. I mean Peter posted on Twitter. No, next he was weekend. Like, he was next like, weekend. Yeah, I mean semantics, but he's like ten is- days till nationals. I was like, what?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was not prepared for that. What's the okay, best sorry. deck though? That's the what's question. The what's the best deck in the format?
0: Lexi's the best deck in the format. If you're playing at 80% of a deck's total ability, <laughs> let's say a cap. Lexi's the best deck in the format if you're a super specialist on any of a top five deck that's the best deck in the format
2: Ooh, what's the fifth deck in the top five I don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay just there, there's a fifth deck there somewhere all right I'm sure it's enough. there yeah mm-hmm. yep yeah. Brendan <laughs> has your thoughts changed at all Lexi's still the best deck for you <sighs>
1: This is the best deck? I don't know. Quant, I mean, statistically, yes. It's like, how do I even argue with that at this point? But I like the idea of using like the Pareto principle to uh, to sort of take your deck right? You're 80 20. If you're an 80% competency, you just, take the, you just take the best deck in the room. But this is a meta where specialists can shine. For me, definitely the best deck in the room is not as important to my deck choice as it used to be. Um, and I, I agree. And I am very, very confident that I will end up on a wizard. And that is one for enjoyment and two for laziness, because I really don't feel like learning Lexi and like beating everybody in the mirror who's been playing it for super. Like, I'm just not interested in that. I did that with the Briar thing and I legitimately felt like I was spectating my own matches in Lille and it sucked. I didn't like it, so
2: that's a different reason though. That's because playing Briar was on rails and it sucked.
1: <laughs> I've, yeah, I mean, I've heard similar critiques of the Mirror, but uh, for the Lexium. But also, Lexi's just a deck that I'm letting. I'm letting that. That deck as the best deck passed by me. You know, that's not one of the ones where I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of metagame and pick up and try to be the best of the best deck. Like, I think I'm gonna really go for the deck that beats a deck in this meta. And I'm looking at a wizard. Um, I want to play Kano, but I also agree with Caleb that, and I agree with you. I mean, we, we all agree and said Icelander is just, it's just a better wizard. The issue is, is that Kano is just a more fun wizard. You know, it's
2: just... Absolutely. Went, uh, yeah. <laughs> you really tell, tell us tell us how you feel after round
0: three. Uh, yeah. yeah. After your second dromai of the day. Also,
1: awesome. you know. like you want to talk about Flesh and Blood Street cred. You know, you take Kano to a major tournament, man, you're one of the cool kids for life.
2: I don't know if you still get the same credit. <laughs> not, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. You t- take Arachne, though, you might get the cred. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. So challenge laid out. Mm. I want to just close out my final thought. I've had some changes of... of a change of heart you know change of thought over the last couple of weeks of testing and i was definitely in the camp of lexi is the best deck in the format it bullseye braces yes good good ban solid ban hurts it quite a bit i think the top well the three kind of heroes of icelander dromai lexi are all in contention for like the, the best deck i think or the best hero for a myriad of different reasons for the ability of people to play them like you said pick up and play them the ability of specialists the ability for them to operate in any given meta the deck builds that people will come with i i think it's really hard to kind of put something between those three in terms of like what's the best deck because there's just so much noise around those and yeah, basically, I'm just going to go back on saying I think Lexi is the clear best deck. I just don't, I don't think it is anymore. I think all three of those could be could be vying for it in any given mid or any any given event. I
1: mean, I'll, t- Bravo I'll tell you kind right of now. Yeah, I was so. going to say, there's people listening to this who think you're just like you're an idiot? They're like, well, Bravo's
2: obviously the best deck. Like, Bravo's good. Yeah, Bravo's. Good. I don't agree with that. <laughs> but it's not. It's definitely not. I don't think it's the level of those three. So
1: yeah, the Jermai is pretty interesting to me because like Jermai is also a deck that I feel like hasn't been performing like super mm-hmm. well, but it's still in contention for being the the top three deck and we we take bravo out of that position we put jermai in despite jermai i don't know jermai seems underwhelming to me in terms of results recently uh and jermai just always has been underwhelming in terms of results but at least it's had those like those top eight results i mean we look at the pt it did very well there um etc and yeah i just when it comes to jermai as well there's multiple archetypes right it's like what version of of jermai are people on Right now, Hayden, what credence do you give to decks like Briar and like Viserai in this meta? Are they just are they just dead to Warmongers? That as a as a card becomes more popular,
2: no, they're not just dead to Warmongers, but they're dead to me. Um, <laughs> I mean, Viserai might actually just be dead to Warmongers. I don't think Briar is like having tested that matchup and testing to Warmongers. Like we've already seen builds start to adapt. I think if you look at the the Salt Lake City Battle Hunt, or the, sorry the PTR event, you'll see that people are already adapting with their their Briar lists, um, but it's not of particular interest to me because I think it's hard to have good matchups into two of those top three, no mm-hmm. matter how you build it. Primarily just trying to have a good matchup into Icelander and Lixie. Like, I think that is such an uphill battle for Briar. Like, I want to be feeling confident with my game plans and I feel like I'm just kind of like praying into, into those matchups depending on how good my opponent is and that's not where I want to be with Briar. So, not a particular interest to me. But I, I think, you know, still very powerful. Maharok is still a thing. You still get to just have insane games and you'll have insane power in your deck viscerai i think is it's i really don't know how you can justify playing viscera unfortunately in this meta unless people just start taking out all the warm, warmongers recital from the deck
0: mm. man have you played that matchup in icelander
2: as viscerai yeah no oh, it's
0: unwinnable it's actually it like it's it <laughs> might be
2: it might be like the uh, like what is you put this up on a pedestal is like the definition of an unwinnable matchup in flesh and blood mm. <laughs> like yeah. it's so disgusting Every, yeah.
0: Even when, like, I've played the matchup from Icelander side, mostly, and even when, like, things are going so horrendously bad for me as Icelander, somewhere around the middle of the game, I just end up 16 life up. Yep. <laughs> it's, like, <clears throat> it's insane.
2: Frostbites just hurt us right so much. in Illuvian.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you guys, I mean, prior to this podcast, I was really just, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna play Kano. Fuck testing, fuck doing any of that stuff. I'm just gonna have fun. But oh man, I think I've just been convinced through this podcast to maybe go let's to the. IC. No, no, not that. <laughs> Anything <laughs> but that. No, no. Bring back Boost scalata. Dash. <laughs> Pussies.
2: <laughs> one, one last question. Let's let's give an outside shout for national season. We've talked about the wizards. Obviously, we've talked about Lexi Bravo, even a bit of Dromai. Outside of those decks, what do you see as like an actual contender for winning some national championships? I don't know. You got any thoughts? Imagine. Oh
0: man, yeah. Um, I think there's a possibility i don't think azuri can uh i think it has like one really good matchup and a ton of not very good ones i think um i think honestly we saw dash win an event recently i think dash hitting the right matchups could absolutely win
2: nationals yeah good Mm shot. dash is in that next tier for me i think it's it's Yeah. yeah it's powerful Actually, do you know, you look at the top three, like maybe you're still a bit of a dog to Lexi, but like your Dromo matchup and your, your Islander matchup, they're, they're not that bad. They're good. I don't want to see
0: that matchup as Icelander. I played against in the PTI event round one. Uh, I went down one life to 27 and had to fight back. my goodness. <laughs> it was very stressful.
2: <laughs> Brendan. <sighs> what was the question? Remind me. Outside, outside chance, outside shot for nationals sort of, you know, if it's not those five decks, who, who's the next deck that's going to maybe put up some results?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. That's tough to not, I mean, it could be Azalea, right? But uh, it's tough to not mention Dash. I mean, I I don't have a lot of experience with Dash since, God, I mean, probably Crucible of War, but it has taken down some events. It's had some sort of taught, you know, prestigious top eight results. And at this point, it's just like, I know it exists. I don't know how it got the performances that it did at some of these events. You know, like it won the biggest calling ever post pro tour, but um, but yeah, there's clearly some players out there that are able to take that deck as far as they have. So I mean, it's possible. It's possible. I would I wouldn't hold my breath for it as something like uh like one of these bigger nationals events, I don't think.
2: It's one two callings this year.
1: Dash. Yeah, I know. It really is like it really is a sleeper deck. What what credence do you guys give to decks? You know, now that the meta meta's matured, what credence do you guys give to decks like Vincet, Prism, Bolton, and Levy? Are those decks are they not real anymore?
2: I tell what prism was going to be you know i don't want to been accused of psyops the prism dictate coming soon but prism i think could could uh, snatch a couple of nationals i think prism is a medical definitely a medical but is a good hero is a powerful hero mm.
0: i have not been able to play locals over the past couple of weeks for various reasons um but our local prism player has been winning most of them
2: mm. yeah i how mean how much aggro <laughs> in your <meta? laughs>
1: How does the new Prism matchup go for you as Icelander?
0: So I have an idea of how it goes in my mind. And one of my buddies played against it and he's a bit newer on Icelander and he ended up losing. And I was like, how did you lose this matchup? This seems like it should be so good for us. Um, and he told me, oh, I was really close. I tried to do this and I set up my Frost Texas and I was like, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, I set up my Frost Texas. I'm like, why would you do this? So I think I I think that it's probably good for Icelander, but I don't actually know this. I haven't played it. Hayden could probably tell you better.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the of the prism list. But I think if you're playing the good prism lists, mm. it really comes down to if the Icelander understands the game well enough. And then I think they Iceland can get it to being close. <laughs> Otherwise, I think Ooh. I think it's pretty prism favored. But
0: Okay, yeah. All right. No, I look forward to it. I look forward to getting absolutely destroyed by it in nationals going back to this podcast and being like,
2: wow, I look dumb.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a week that's a weekly sort of retrospection that we have to go through.
2: <laughs> I can't wait for the nationals retrospect. Bravo uh, wins man. and then like, dude, you guys do you put Bravo just in, the top four decks. in the top eight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you see me playing Prism at Nationals. we're okay now.
1: Um All right. Majan, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's great to sort of talk to a, a fellow visitor, You know, Hear the passion. That goes behind some of these decks. Um, for people listening, I just want to give you a chance to shout out your Twitter, your Twitch stream, anything else you're up to, projects, etc. cetera.
0: Yep. Uh, Majin Bay or Majin Bay LOR at all my stuff. You can find me pretty easily on any of the platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, all that kind of stuff I can hang out. Sometimes I rant about flesh and blood. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Awesome. Well, for all all of you listening, if you're listening to this on pod platforms, there's a video version on YouTube at youtube.com slash Arsenal Pass. If you listen to this podcast, you enjoy it, or you enjoyed this podcast specifically, the number one thing you can do for us is leave us a review. You can do it on Apple Podcasts or at ratethispodcast.com slash Arsenal Pass. Everybody's on Twitter, at APG at Fian underscore Dale, and once again, at Majin Bay LOR. We do have some deck techs coming out pre-national. So Hayden, like you said, he does have that prison coming out. Me and Majin are going to be doing an Icelander deck tech. And of course, the corresponding Cyborg Guides, Tips and Tricks, a little write-up will be going on Patreon. So thank you to all the current supporting Patreon members. You help us do what we do. And we are eternally grateful. With that, Hayden, anything else to close out with?
2: Good luck to everyone playing battle hardened this weekend. Mm. Uh, good luck to everyone with the last few preparations for nationals. Looking forward to calling U.S. and U.S. nationals plus a lot of other nationals around the world next weekend.
1: Yep, and if there's a deck It'd that we uh, we are sleeping on, we missed that yeah, is out there. You know, maybe you're yeah, in a big Bravestone. Let us know in the YouTube comments for sure. But for everybody else, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.